0: back to the starter allowance podcast my name is andrew grismore and we have an absolutely action packed show for you guys today but before we get started don't forget to like rate subscribe give us a shout out on anywhere you find your podcast you can find us on itunes you can find us on spotify anywhere you consume those podcasts you can find us and that being said, let's go ahead and talk about some of the action that we do have for you. I'm joined here by Stu from the Peach and Stu podcast.
1: Hey, what's Andrew? up, Andrew? <laughs> We've
0: got a good one today for everybody. Yeah, so. it's
1: great. Great show. We put a lot of work in this week to try and get um, the Starter Allowance podcast, you know, some great guests. And and we're only pushing the ball down the field with the the guests that you've lined up are some fantastic shows and i think you might have uh you might be actually causing some waves in the industry just looking at your guest list coming up so uh please stay tuned with that um and what appreciate you what yeah well hey we're we're happy to have you under the patient stew network man and uh you i'm excited to see what the what the month of august <laughs> entails it'll be interesting
0: yep that being said We have a few awesome guests coming up today. So we're going to talk to Dreammaker Racing. I know Stu had a really good conversation with them. We've got David Aragona from Timeform US and his PaceCast. If you listen to that, if you don't, you probably should. And we've also got Ray Handel, one of the uh, really big-name trainers out there, as well as our Handicapping Roundtable at the end with Spencer Luganville. We've got Marshall Sterling. We've got Ryan Dickey. And you got me going through some of the Friday races at Saratoga.
1: It's a we're missing me though because I had a uh, two-year-old dentist appointment, and sweet Christ, uh, that was fun.
0: Yeah, but I mean. I, I can't wait. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. One of the things that we're going to focus on with with the handicapping part of the show, and we are going to have some of my ownership experience, we're going to have some of those episodes, but we're going to focus on some of those special weekday races. I mean, we're in the midst of Saratoga, and they don't just run on Saturday, but they've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you're going to talk to David Aragona about those Wednesday, Thursday races, and we do our roundtable this week, on the Friday late pick four at Saratoga as well. So we're going to leave Saturday to all those other podcasts. I mean, literally everybody else covers
1: it. So everybody has a pot. My next door neighbor even has a podcast on the Whitney. It's insane. I mean, uh, but you're right. I think, I think for guys like me and you, who might be behind the eight ball and we're hemming and hawing, we haven't even looked at Thursday's card. We're working all day. Hey, Maybe some David says can help us out. Hey, maybe some uh, you know you or Spencer or Ryan or uh, the weatherman, as you like to call him, uh, can can fill in a tip. Just like the weatherman called for Turbo Drive last last week's show. You know he's giving you a seventeen to one shot. So um, really excited to hear what you guys' uh, pings are for Friday. And Lord knows I'll probably be playing them.
0: Yep, absolutely. So let's. That being said, let's just jump right into it. We got Dreammaker first, and enjoy everybody.
1: Before today's episode, we got a special treat. Our sponsor, Dreammaker Racing, who were super thrilled uh, to have as a sponsor for this show. They've got some exciting new offers and an exciting thing to. Let you, the listener, know about and to join us, and in, in breaking that to you, Andrew Calvano. Andrew, how are you?
2: Hey, Alan, how we doing, buddy? Happy, uh, happy Monday to you.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Uh, we're uh, we're we're taping this Monday to for the Wednesday show, but I wanted to get this done asap because you guys put this stuff out there, and and uh, you've got two new offerings that I don't. I don't know how long they're gonna last, but uh certainly some beautifully uh bred uh, beautiful looking horses. Can you tell us about this uh constitution and Munning's uh that you you guys acquired
2: yeah, so uh we recently acquired two yearlings through private sale um you know that and we we've worked, we've worked on this for the last few months to get this done and we uh we sealed the deal last uh, right around the beginning of the month. So last week we we made our first publication to the public in regards to these um, new syndication offerings, and we're really excited. Really excited. Uh, a lot of sire power here: a yearling colt by Munnings and a yearling filly by Constitution. Both of them New York breds Both of them will become Virginia accredited. Um, you know, will will spend their time at Ingleside Training Center. Um, from this upcoming September till their 2 two-year-old campaigns, till they're ready to come up to the racetrack. So in addition to being New York they'll also be Virginia accredited, which, you know, Alan, I know you're a big supporter of that. And you were uh, nice enough to meet me down there in Virginia over at the Inside Training Center. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're really excited to get those bowls, um, you know, down to Woodbury as well because, um, you know, we, we just want to continue supporting that Virginia program as well.
1: Yeah, and and for those that uh, are uninitiated, what's the, the, besides getting broken in by just a a class act, grade A horseman like Woodbury Payne and being taken care of at a great facility, it truly is like an amazing facility that they have at Ingleside, but what's the other big thing that uh, that VA certification offers, especially in New York?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, the Virginia Bread Certified uh, program was put in place, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say about three years ago, um, and it's a really, really cool program. So, essentially, you bring your yearlings down there, and they have to stay in Virginia for six months minimum, and you break them, you train them there, and then after the six months, you become what's called Virginia Bread Certified or Accredited, you know, the, the two terms are, you know, both used. and. Um, now when you are certified, whenever you win a race in Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, Virginia and New York. So essentially all the mid Atlantic states plus New York, so I may have missed a state or two in there, but um those are the main ones. And whenever you win a race in, in those states, you get a twenty five percent bonus on top of the on top of the win, on top of you know, the the net purse. Um so that right there is what we're looking to uh we're looking to achieve and obviously um you know in partnerships in syndicates and in this game in general it's already difficult enough to make money so we like to include these types of incentives for our owners um you know that make things a a a lot easier you know this is a tough game and and we're we don't want to waste people's time and money so by introducing um horses that are coming from this program that have a 25% win bonus coming from the state of Virginia. Just another cool thing about Dreammaker racing. And I, I think we're one of really the only syndicates that, that do this, that invest into this program. Um, I know there's been a lot of New York breds uh, and New York based horses that have been sent down to Virginia. I know to Woodbury. Um, and I know that, um, you know where we are in Virginia, kind of right outside of Charlottesville, and obviously you have Middleburg, Virginia, um, as well, where a lot of good horses come out of. But you know, Virginia is just a, a tremendous state. We're 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 really excited that they have supported this initiative, and um, you know we're we're pleased to be there. We love sending horses down there, especially to Woodbury, Woodbury Payne. Um, you know who is a very accomplished horseman and one of the best. So we're uh, we're just really excited to uh, continue working with him and get these horses down to Virginia pretty soon.
1: You know, specifically talking at th- these two, uh, this colt and this Philly, The the colt out of Money's what struck me is uh, nah- I I'm, hope I'm pronouncing this right. I'm I'm going to turn into like uh, Anthony Stabile over here, but Nantucket Cat. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a mare that you guys have kind of gone back to the well on and had some success on um what what's special about the the pedigree for this uh cold out of money
2: yeah for sure so you know in the hand multiple stakes winner great stakes place um you know everything she everything everything she throws is is just a real physical standout uh we really like the way her babies look and we like you said we keep kind of going back to the well with her um i think this is definitely the 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 best bowl she's thrown so far um and obviously you know, Munnings, he he doesn't need an introduction, especially in 2020. He's been off to a killer start. I think he has something like four or five uh, graded stakes winners so far this year. Um, unique graded stakes winners. And, you know, he's just – he he really influences, um, you know, everything. And, and you can see in this, in this baby – I mean, you can see he has it um, – real nice physical real nice shoulder on him too so we're we're really excited we we like going back to these new york bred families that you know have given us success in the past um so we're we're really excited about him and he'll probably go to bill mott um i say probably but he'll he'll most likely very likely go to bill mott by the time he hits the racetrack and um you know m- mentally I mean, he, he's just, he's just, he's got it all. I mean, you really don't see too many, uh, you know, Yearling Colts have the mind like him, and we're just really excited that, you know, we, we, we have that as well as the physicality of him. Um, and then, you know, the Constitution Philly, you know, just like Munnings doesn't need an introduction, nor does Constitution. So uh, this Constitution Philly, I mean, she, she's a home run. She has it all. Uh, she's out of a mayor named um, Michelle the Great, who was um, stakes placed. And we really, really like this Philly. I mean, she's got it all. I mean, she—you look at her, take one look, and you can just see the class in her. Um, real leggy, athletic, precocious-looking Philly. Um, all of her siblings uh, have raced at two. I think four out of the five have won at two. Um, so th- this is a real precocious family. Definitely your, you know, your Saratoga type, Saratoga two-year-old type here. Um, so we're just we're just really excited about her. And, you know, she's out of a distorted humor mare. Obviously, distorted humor is the best uh, brood mare sire, statistically speaking, for the last, you know, I think four or five years again. Um, you know, and, and we've had a lot of success with with um, horses out of distorted humor mares. So once again, like just going back to that well as well, um, you know, and just kind of hitting where we've been successful. Uh, we had a Philly by Candy Ride a few years back at a Distorted Humor mare, and she did really, really well for us. And, um, you know, we think we see a little bit of the same in this horse as well. Um, definitely looks like a, like a, like a dirt horse, um, you know, probably a sprinter type, I'd have to imagine at this point, but you never know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she's, she's really got it all. We're really excited to get her to Woodbury as well. Um, you know, and in these last few offerings that we've had, you know, we've been offering a lot of Colts. But uh, it's good to get a filly back in the mix and kind of go back to our go back to our roots of, you know, finding fillies with really nice residual value and, um, you know, offering this one. So, um, you know, our plan, obviously, to, you know, get her going by two. I mean, she'll certainly be ready. You know, if she goes anything like the family, she'll certainly be ready. And obviously, knock on wood, we have a long road ahead. But, you know, um, she definitely looks a two year old type. And um, you know she she's definitely got that broodmare value as well. I mean she's out of a real precocious family, uh, you know, with a lot of black type in there. You know, in, in four years down the road, if these constitutions are as well respected as broodmare sires as they are at sires now, you know, we, we, we should have no problem, uh, you know, get getting her into the um, you know phase of Tipton February sale and, and, and hitting hitting the good ones. So we're uh, we're just really excited, and long term we're excited as well. We think these are both horses that. Uh, are really going to make a statement here, running against um, you know New York Bread Company, and then hopefully uh, diving into Open Company and and winning some big races up here in New York.
1: Yeah, and and thank you for that breakdown. And I know there's a lot more to what you could break down. And if the good folks out there want to call up or email or inquire, where can they do that at?
2: Yeah, sir. sure. So uh, you can definitely head over to our website, uh, www.dreammakerracing.com. And there's a, uh, you know, there's a contact button in the, in the right-hand corner. Just click that. It's a lot of contact, you know, name, phone number, email, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll shoot you over an email with some, uh, with some stuff to look at and hopefully set up a phone call and, you know, talk a little bit more about what Dreammaker Racing does. Uh, you know, if you're looking to call off the bat, uh, you can reach us at 518-587-5550. And um, you know, just ask to talk to me or Tom. And um, you know, we we'd love to talk to anybody with about Dreammaker Racing and anybody that does call, you know, coming from this podcast will uh you know, we'll send out a gift bag as well. Uh, you know, for for being loyal listeners to the uh Peach and Stew podcast and and for wanting to learn more about Dreammaker as well. So Little incentive well, to do
1: appreciate so. that offer man and uh we can't thank you enough for the great sponsorship you always provide to uh this show and um we can't wait to talk to you down the road again and and get your input and and uh follow up on how dream makers doing i know jimmy jazz tried so gutsy just kind of got uh, a little unlucky at the end but you know, picking up a solid third in a field of like uh, 300 horses. It looked like a racing yeah, basket. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, Welcome to uh, Saratoga Turf Racing for New York <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. So thank you again, Andrew. And remember www.dreammakerracing.com. Go check them out. Mention the pod. Get that gift bag. And now uh, the show. Take it away, Andrew. And it's always a pleasure, folks, when our friend to the show, he's the morning line maker at Naira, he is the co-host, and he's the better looking one, I might add, of the DRF Time for US podcast, I always call it the player's podcast, but it's a Time for US podcast, DRF, wherever you get your podcasts, it's it's one of the must-go-to, must-use horse racing podcasts out there. Of course, I'm speaking of David Aragona. David, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. It's good hearing from you again.
3: Thanks. It's good to be back on. I'm not going to personally sign on to your assessment of uh, our relative <laughs> appearances, but uh, <laughs>
1: I, I, I appreciate the compliment. Well, you know, Craig's getting a very stern letter from my congressman. I, I, he came at me on Twitter about uh, about my Tigers and uh, his Orioles. So he's got he's got a receipt coming. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get it to him next week when he's on. But uh, first off, before we jump into anything, first week, uh, it's almost like jumping into the deep end of the pool when when you move from Belmont to Saratoga. How was it for you? Are you sleeping? Are you back in the schedule, back into like a structured life?
3: You know, it's a little weird this year because, I mean, we moved right from Belmont to Saratoga. And I mean, for me, I mean, just this year is so different for everybody. And uh, the past couple of years, I was up in Saratoga. Uh, you know, doing my work from there. And this year I'm just down still in in the city doing my work from home. And uh, being just busier working from home all the time is a different kind of experience because it's not like I have that motivation of just the Saratoga atmosphere around me. You just kind of have to motivate yourself to do the work. Um, But I mean, that said, it's still Saratoga, and the racing is still just as interesting as ever. Uh, I feel like the first four-day week was a little easier to ease into because, uh, especially those first couple of cards, I would say they resembled Belmont a little bit more than we're maybe used to. But the past, the last week in particular, and this upcoming week of what I've seen of the cards so far, seems like the racing's really gotten
1: strong. Yeah, and we'll get we'll touch on some of those races, but I, I do want to rewind because. While I was uh, out in the 95-degree heat cutting the lawn, I was listening to uh, the melodic tones of, of that Timeform U.S. podcast. And you and Craig stopped on race nine um, where Turbo Drive wins. You mentioned Turbo Drive. You mentioned it's, it's, it was a crazy race. You can make the case for a ton. Uh, Jimmy Jazz, Steelers fan for life. Prices that had every shot to win. And just going back on a race like that, where you have one of very few turf races where it seems like those from there was some moves made from the back of the pack. I don't know if that's just my take on early turf racing so far. Uh, what did you notice about that race? What were your thoughts in, in, in a large field like that? What can that tell us about turf racing in general? if we're trying to key in on what's happening at a meet.
3: Yeah, I would say just as a general point, I think the turf courses have been very fair. Um, I've seen some chatter that maybe speed is not a great thing to have. I would say that every turf race that I've seen, um, the outcome can be explained by pace. Uh, we've seen some slow paces. We've seen a, a lot of more competitive paces. Uh, we're used to seeing a lot of slow paces on the Naira circuit, just generally, but especially in some of the two turn races. We've seen some pretty competitive pace situations. And that was definitely the case in this ninth race from last Saturday. And I think that's what allowed Turbo Drive to win at such a big price. Uh, also, he got a fantastic ride from Irat Ortiz, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit. You know, you mentioned Craig and I handicapping this race on the podcast last week and hindsight's always 20-20 and going back to kind of look at my assessment of this race I feel like I fell into the trap of taking some horses that didn't really have any kind of speed figure edge over the field but you just sort of assume that one of them would improve because they were the three year olds who are more lightly raced uh, facing some horses who had run basically similar speed figures or in some cases faster speed figures they were just a little bit more exposed and often in those situations, the horses that are kind of the ones that need to improve tend to be the horses that take more money and get over bet. And that was the case with the three horses that I kind of settled on Stanhope, Barley One, and uh, Simply. And it turned out they were probably the wrong horses to go for because they didn't offer any value. And I mean, in a situation like that, I guess it shouldn't be a big surprise that the race was just dominated by long shots and trips were really of the utmost importance. And I, I mentioned that Irad Ortiz gave uh, Turbo Drive an amazing ride. I mean, it was a race that featured a very competitive pace, and he just sat towards the back of the pack, saved ground every step of the way, was able to find a seam at the top of the stretch to come through off the inside. And just like the Red Seas parted, horses had traffic on the inside, horses had traffic on the outside, and he just came right through the middle and won the race
1: you know uh going into that race i was really keyed up on jimmy jazz because uh our good sponsors on this show dreammaker racing they kind of they kind of gave me the Iggy that you know th- this horse is this horse is ready this horse is going to put forth a good effort and then to couple that with tom bush has been kind of lights out when you but when you see a uh, this horse and i've followed it Jimmy Jazz has caught like some really tough fields as has Steeler fan for life, as has turbo drive, et cetera, et cetera, where uh, it seemed like those, that was one race where, and we're going to get to a race that's coming up on the card on Thursday where there is similar speed figures. Nobody's really jumping out. Like you said, you're just projecting at that point. Do you find those are the races that maybe in hindsight or maybe going forward, you may pinpoint these races and just say, well, everybody's kind of lumped in together. And I might just, I might just, you know, shoot the Dan Cortez 15 point jump shot from half court and just send it in. Well,
3: yeah. I mean, the goal in these races is always to find the horse that you think is going to be the best value. And as I said, I mean, I I probably didn't say this. In these terms before the race, though I did highlight Steelers Fan for Life and Jimmy Jazz as a couple of long shots. You absolutely did, at, yep. Um, you know, should they have been 14 to 1 and 16 to 1 respectively um, against Stanhope and Barley 1, both being 7 to 2? Based on the figures they had run previously and the races that they were coming out of, probably not. That was way too big of a disparity. I mean, the issue with those horses, like Jimmy Jazz and Stiller's Fan for Life, is that they're just not really winning types. And I think you saw that a little bit with Jimmy Jazz, who... Got a pretty good trip. I mean, maybe he moved a little bit soon at the top of the stretch, but he got there, and he's just not a horse that uh, has shown a lot of heart to win races. I mean, I liked him actually a lot when he broke his maiden last fall, and even that day, it's not like he was so willing to win that race. He just barely held off another horse at the end in a photo finish. Um, So you are kind of hoping that everything comes together for those horses so they can actually win. Often they're more the kinds of horses you want to key on in Exotics. Uh, but that is where you can get the value. Whatever wagers you choose to play, maybe it's not a win wager. Maybe you're playing some trifecta boxes or, or keying horses in trifectas, that kind of thing. Those are the kind of horses you do want to key in on.
1: I can't thank you enough for that uh, a kind of explanation just walking me through that because I, I, I keep coming back to that race as I, there's more stuff to dig in. Hopefully you guys can, uh, you and Craig can get together on the PaceCast and maybe we can hear that uh, You know, schedules permitting um, more of that kind of chatter between you two because uh, I really do enjoy that program.
3: Thanks. I appreciate that. We actually just recorded a pace cast this morning, so that'll be out in a little bit. We didn't discuss this race, but we did discuss a bunch of races from Saratoga last week.
1: That works for me, and uh, you, just, uh, you just hooked me up to do the lawn again. So thank you. <laughs> uh, hey, I want to jump in uh, while we got you, and I know time's running uh, a little tight. Uh, Wednesday, uh, at the spa, just some interesting races. And then, you know, maybe, uh, just give you the floor, uh, to kind of just maybe, uh, maybe I missed a horse here, but, uh, the day at the spa stakes race, um, I noticed something and I'm, you know, I'm not going to be against you for it, but, uh, that's Two morning line favorites with eight to five, seven to five. And I know I've heard you say before, um, you don't really like doing that. The co-favorite thing is just not something you're like in favor of. In a situation like this, though, is this one of those that, hey, these two are just going to lay over the field and it is what it is. I got to give you a accurate, as accurate a picture, I think, of what the prices are going to be at post time or how do you how do you assess that
3: well i mean i wouldn't consider this quite co-favorites i mean i did there there's a slight distinction one's a a slight favorite over the other one i I would say i'm not a fan of when a line maker literally pegs two horses as favorite at the exact same price so that you know so that anybody who's writing a headline about the race can't you know use that they have to say oh well the favorites in this race are such and such, and or X and Y. It's just, it's just an awkward thing to do, and I, I don't think it, it's helping. Um, so I'm against that. I mean, I made Classic Lady the slight favorite over War Canoe because, obviously, she finished ahead of her last time. The prices, I mean, you can clearly see in the form, the prices were reversed at the Mount Vernon, and I don't think anyone's going to be shocked if War Canoe can turn the tables on her. Um, honestly, it's not a race that I had a strong feeling for. I just kind of felt like they were probably the two
1: horses that would take the most support. I think in the figures, it's mainly, it comes down to those two, unless something weird happens, but yeah, I I, making a morning line. I mean, everybody's going to, everybody on horse racing Twitter uh, has an opinion about these kinds of things. And I just appreciate the fact that, Hey, I'm going to make a favorite and we're not gonna, we're not going to have two go favorites and, and we'll see what happens. Um, so I just wanted to point that out for to ask a morning line question. Uh, race seven, race seven. Moving on, um, an interesting horse. I just wanted to get your take on Ghoul uh, for Peter Miller. Peter Miller showing up at Saratoga caught me a little off guard when I was looking at the at the race. Um, what, what did you think about this? And what what in broader terms? How do you feel about West Coast guys coming over to East Coast?
3: I mean, at this point I think Peter Miller has kind of proven that he can win anywhere. Um, you know, say what you will about, you know, whether you're a fan of him or not as a trainer. Sure. Um sure. but uh he definitely wins races. And, you know, we saw him do very well in Kentucky and other other circuits as well as I think Oaklawn. Um, so I would think he can win in New York. He sent over some stakes horses uh to win stakes like the turf sprints in New York in the past, um thinking of you know, like Stormy Liberal. So I think he's certainly um a contender in this race but there are a lot of contenders in this race because if you're willing to take a shot against sayoff who i would imagine is going to be a you know a pretty significant favorite for chad brown i don't think that horse is invincible so there are a lot of other horses once you get past him that could possibly win this race
1: yeah i was just really interested i know jonathan kinchin always he you know upgrade the west coast dirt you know, coming out east and downgrade the West Coast turf coming out east. Do you follow that kind of principle? Do Because I know a lot of folks will do that to a certain degree.
3: Yeah, I think it depends a little bit on the division. Um, the turf sprinters, I think, are, are a little more likely to transfer their form anywhere because a fast horse in California on the turf is pretty much the same as a fast horse <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. Um, when you get into the, the route races, I think – in California, you don't really have the the powerful turf barns like Chad Brown and Christophe Clement, who just tend to get a lot of the better turf horses, especially the ones coming over from Europe. So I just think that there is more quality in the stable area in New York in, in terms of the turf ranks than the was in California and that's why you see a lot of the California horses sometimes struggle uh in those grade one turf routes any time of the year uh when they try to come east or run in you know in like a breeder's cup event so um I do favor them in that situation, but in turf sprints, I think it's pretty, it's pretty well matched. And with a horse like ghoul in this race, I mean, he's basically run everywhere. He's running Woodbine. He's running California. He's running Kentucky. Uh, his California races are probably his best races, but I see how you can make little excuses for his last couple efforts. He personally wasn't for me in this race, but I could see how some might use him.
1: Yeah. I think, I think this pace has, it's it's that New York. It's that Naira trap on paper. There seems to be a decent pace signed on. Um, how quick that gets if we if we are lucky enough to see some uh, red coated fractions, who knows? Um, I was I was interested in him just purely off that, but you know, like you've been saying, who who really know? I mean, the paper form, yeah, this horse should go, and then you see a horse like Min, uh, Mr. Winston. Um, a few weeks ago and you know you've got speed horses taking back in rating so who actually knows how they're going to run them right
3: yeah i mean in this particular race i think they've got to be pretty aggressive with Vici on the outside he's uh really shown a ton of speed in his recent races and actually i think he's very dangerous in this race because i think the cut back to five and a half furlongs is going to be much more suitable for him than the seven furlongs he just never wins and that's kind of the problem with him um Personally, you know, this was a race where I thought you could take a little bit of a shot. So I put the number five Secretary of War on top. I thought he had a bit of a trip last time and ran pretty well turning back in distance. And he's kind of unexposed turf sprinting. So I think he's somewhat interesting. Um, but it's just kind of a value play in a race where you can make a case for a lot of horses.
1: And, and what might be the feature of the day, race nine, which is uh, a stakes race. I mean, it's just, it's just a loaded field. Uh, that just is a stakes race, but you know, it's it's an optional claimer. Uh, wh- how do you how do you go in a race like this when when you see clear stakes horses and it's you know the intent is muddled? It's not a you know a stakes race. There's that optional claiming um, kind of. Com- part of it. Uh, Do you attack it any differently? Do you do you, uh, do anything differently when you're looking at these?
3: I mean, it really is just kind of like an eight. I mean, the purse is $80,000 and it's just kind of like an $80,000 listed stakes race. And these days, that's the, the purse of a lot of listed stakes races. So um, I, I pretty much view it that way. There is only one horse uh, entered for turf who's in for the tag, that being made you look, who, who is a bit of a long shot in this race. Um, so I mean, among the main players, it really is just kind of a listed stakes race. Uh, it's okay. not one in name, uh, but that's kind of how it comes together.
1: And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to just kind of float to Devamani, who's taken a ton of money um, in bigger spots and and failed to hit it. Uh, Where are you falling on this race? Because there seems to be a lot of horses that really they're grouped in the right kind of race. I mean, they're about the same talents. Um, I don't know if anybody stuck out to you.
3: I mean, I saw there being three major players in this race, and I don't I'm not saying anything clever because I made him the sure three shortest prices on the line. I mean, Dev obviously the horse to beat. He's got those class lines. He's just really improved for Chad Brown. Um, I think the distance of the Manhattan was just a bit too far for him last time. The issue with Devamani is that um, while he's run the best races, he's just not really a horse that seals the deal all the time. He loses a lot of photo finishes, so he's just not the kind of horse that I'm ever going to want to take at a short price, though I recognize he can win this race. Um, I liked breaking the rules return last time. I have no idea what happened to him last year prior to the layoff when he just went so badly off form. but. Based on his return effort, it seems like Sh- Shug he has got him figured out again. Uh, he got a great trip that day, but he beat a good horse in digital age. So I won't be surprised if he takes another step forward and beats this field. But for me, the most interesting horse in this race is the number one, Wissa Hicken. Um, yep. yep. This ho- if you go and watch some of these horse, this horse's European races, he-, he could be really good. Um You've got to wonder if something happened to him last year because it did seem like his form tailed off a little bit. He lost that group three race at York at a short price and he didn't run well in his last race over the all weather there. But I mean, if you go and watch that race that he ran in the Cambridgeshire handicap back in uh, September of 2018, when he beat 32 rivals by open lengths. I mean, if you look in the time form USVPs, we have these really detailed time form comments from uh, writers that are very experienced in assessing your, European racing and they called that performance one of the greatest handicap efforts by any horse in modern times and that's the kind of effort that should set him up to become a group one horse it didn't work out racing on the all-weather last year and something obviously went wrong um maybe he's a horse that needs lasix it seems like he's a horse that enjoys firm turf so really the sky's the limit for him coming over to this country in his u.s debut it's just a matter of his if he's still the same horse
1: does does it give you pause uh I'm a I'm a big Jonathan Thomas fan I love playing his horses but as of late uh you know and I I don't have the formulator numbers in front of me Uh, maybe you may know this offhand but just as of late it doesn't seem like he's hitting the winner's circle I mean he find he always has a nice entry and it usually finds its way onto my tickets, but I'm not cashing with Jonathan Thomas lately. Does that when you see a barn that's um just not doing so great, but uh, or not kicking on all cylinders, but you got this horse that like this is a obviously a one off, you know? Not too many people are you know have a horse like Wissahickon that just is ready to you know roll, but uh. How do you kind of assess that personally when you're, when you're handicapping and, and looking at these races?
3: Yeah, it seems like Jonathan Thomas is kind of a streaky trainer. Um, he'll get on these real hot streaks and win at upwards of 30% at times. And then he'll go through lulls. And I guess he's going through a little bit of a lull right now, not as bad as we've seen in the past. Um, but I mean that's just that just could be randomness Um, some trainers they have really good stock in their barns at times that are ready to win and other times not so I mean we saw that with Linda Rice at the Belmont Meet compared to at Saratoga when at Belmont it seemed like she couldn't couldn't win a race uh, for a long period of time horses just weren't really running for her and then the same horses are running a lot better at at Saratoga under a different set of circumstances Uh, so I think it just swings both ways I mean even as gamblers we go through that, too, where sometimes you just can't pick them right, and other times everything's clicking. Uh, yeah. And John, Jonathan Thomas, I mean, he is winning at 21% on the year, so it's not like he's having a bad year. Um, it's just recently, he, had, you know, it's not like the winds have been rolling in.
1: Moving on to uh, Thursday, this late pick four. I'm just going to rapid fire some uh, things at you and just let me know if uh, if I'm off base. This The first part of this leg, race seven, my man Flintstone and Mr. Bobby, I mean, that's it. That's all you need, right?
3: Yeah, this one looks pretty uncomplicated to me. Um, I'm going to give this light edge to my man Flintstone just because it seems like he's faster than these horses early and you yeah. might be able to take them all the way.
1: Hey, but. you ain't going to be able to fool me, David. I know you just like the name more. It's okay. <laughs> I know it. I know you're betting names, you're betting colors. I know it. I know it. You know, but you're I mean, right. Too many, yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right, though.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he just makes a lot of sense, and it, it really is about those two horses.
1: I, uh, I, I bet Polar Bear Pete real hard last time because I thought he got just a no-shot trip on the turf in that um, 3 June at Belmont, and then I see him switch back to the dirt, and I'm just heartbroken that I spent so much money on him last time. Um, that's just a side note for situational awareness. Uh, race eight here. Here, okay. So this is the race I was kind of referring to a little bit, where we were talking about. Um, we were talking about that race, the ninth race on Saturday, where you, when you look on the form and you go, okay, what's the differentiating factor in these horses? this is that race where it's like how do you define the difference between pecatonica uh or a blue atlas uh you know they're running about the same buyer speed figures which means they're running roughly the same amount uh on time form us and you can go you know further and further uh, and really, we're just looking at running styles. So in a race like the eighth, where you could probably use all and hit that all button, um, how do you, how do you uh, look at this one and, and where are you going?
3: Yeah, in races like this, um, these optional claiming 40,000 with the non-winners of two other than condition for the New York breads, um, I try to generally give preference to horses that have already run well at this level. Um, because I think the step up from the non-winners of one to the non-winners of two with that added optional claiming component is really tough uh, because you get a lot of horses racing for that tag. And a lot of them have already won this condition before. So it just makes it a much tougher race. This situation, though, you've got a lot of horses coming out of that non-winners of one condition. You don't have that many horses that have already run well for the non-winners of two condition. So I'm really kind of left with assessing who ran the best non-winners of one last time. um, And... You know, that's probably Barrel of Destiny on the outside. Um, she beat a pretty good field uh, summer at the spawn. Astoria Kitten. They both came back to hit the board another race at that level. So it seems like a solid race that she won. I mean, my heart belongs to Daddy. She is an ex-Chad Brown, but Horia Abreu does a good job, and she's got plenty of back figures that uh, make her a major player here. We'll see if she's ready off the layoff and how they bet her. But I felt like those two would take the bulk of the play. Um, on the inside, I mean, Pecatonica, she won that race that I mentioned. She beat the same horses that Barrel of Destiny beat. She just didn't do it nearly as impressively as Barrel of Destiny did. And Blue Atlas beat Claimers last time. So, I mean, in some ways she's got the most to prove, but she does have back form and Horatio deposes barn. I mean, they've obviously been doing well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those where it, it, you just kind of press the all button and, and uh, maybe you move on to to the next race uh did you have a t- you went with barrel of destiny in here well i think she's kind of the horse to
3: beat um the, the one that i put on top is actually out of trouble um she to me is that horse that has the back class she's in for the forty thousand dollar tag she's i think won this condition in the past she's run well against open nominators of one in the past her recent form it obviously at least something to be desired um but she ran well enough on the dirt to back and I don't know what happened in that race last time going seven furlongs. It was just – I like Joel Rosario a lot as a rider. I I think he gives some amazing rides and does – he just works some miracles out there at times. I mean, when he's at his his best, he's arguably better than the Ortiz brothers. But he also puts in some head scratchers at times. And if you watch that ride back when Out of Trouble, you just kind of have to wonder – what the game plan was and how he ever thought he was going to be winning from the position he put her in. So maybe she's just off four, but I think she's going to get a much different kind of ride in this race. And I won't be surprised if she rebounds.
1: Moving on to the uh, John Morrissey in this one, I, when I was looking at this race, I was like, man, David pissed off somebody. Whew. They hit you with a tough race Um You know, just giving a little heads up, pat on the back, who's coming out of, you know, a grade one. You've got a grade two in there, uh, six to one on the morning line. And this was a horse that was very well-respected last year. And that just tells you how tough this field is. Um, I guess we'll start with this. Is uh, Amundsen for Horatio – is it is this horse to goods because uh there's not a whole ton of speed up front but you got to imagine somebody's going to be going with them um you made this one the morning line favorite it, what, what was your take on Amundsen because I think you got to decide with him first off what you want to do in this race
3: yeah, this was kind of a tough one. Um, I already had some people criticize me for making this horse the morning line favorite. Maybe I'm wrong about it, I don't know. Um, my take on it was that, I mean, you've got three horses who are obviously in great form right now, those being Amundsen, Bankett and Funny Guy drawn right alongside each other at the center of the field. And Amundsen just has this pace advantage that is so glaringly obvious. I feel like people are just gonna gravitate towards this horse. Because his two main rivals, they come from off the pace, I mean Bankett in particular, is a deep closer, and I mean, I think you're being a little generous in if- saying that you have to assume somebody's going to go after Amundsen because i don 't know who that's going to be. I mean Pat on the back has shown some speed in the past, but i
1: gu- I guess uh, i and I, you know, thank God Andy's not on this show because he'd have my ass. But I, I don't have the pace figures in front of me. But T-Loves a Fight in the past has certainly shown that can be forwardly placed. I And Louis Saez gives me some kind of hope. But I, I, I would fight people in saying that, you know, funny guy and bank it. I mean, they both got setups in that that race last out, the commentator. I mean, so, Mr. Buff was just... just one way so just to illustrate
3: how much of an advantage Amundsen has in this race I mean we make the time form us pace projector based primarily on the horse's early pace ratings which we do print now in the DRFPPs um, and they're also in formulator and if you look through this field Amundsen gets an early pace rating of 121 the second highest early pace rating in this race is 30 points lower You just don't see mismatches like that in dirt sprints really anywhere, especially not in stakes races. So, I mean, unless Amison like falls to his face at the start, he's supposed to have a pretty sizable advantage in the early portion of this race. Or if he doesn't have a sizable advantage, he's going to be going pretty slowly. So I just think he's got that in his favor. And on top of all of that, I mean, his last race was really good because he was contesting a pretty hot pace. We saw Skyler Scramjet, who he was dueling with in the early portion of that race, and Skyler Scramjet just completely fell apart after dueling with Amundsen. Well, he came back and won last week, and it was an easier spot, but he bounced back like Amundsen was the horse that got him beat in his prior race, and I just feel like this horse is coming in in great form, and Bankit and Funny Guy, I respect them both, but I'm not convinced that they're both necessarily better at seven furlongs. So that uh, uh, funny guy is going to get as good a trip as last time. Funny guy get a setup.
1: Funny guy got a setup last time. I mean, he did. I I mean, that race set up perfectly for him, and he was just in front of Bankit. And Bankit, I believe, if I don't have my trip notes in front of me, I believe Bankit made the first move. And Funny guy just kind of sat and and got a really nice ride, but. Yeah.
3: Rosario gave him a fantastic ride. He saved ground every step of the way, got through on the inside and you know, don't get me wrong. Funny guy might just be a vastly improved horse as a four-year-old. Sure, it's I think possible. he's going to, yeah, he, he might be bound for, for some graded stakes kind of like Pat on the back was when he won the Kelso last year. Um, but this is a tough spot. And I think these horses are going to be a little bit more up against it than they were last time.
1: I love it, man. I, I think you bring up a really interesting point and uh, before we leave this race, Amundsen, because um, I think there's every possibility that people are going to see Funny Guy, they're going to see Bankett, they're going to see Pat on the back, um, you know, my boy Tate uh, is in the race for Little Red Feather, shout out to uh, Billy, but I mean, there's connections here, uh, Castellano with with Cox, there's connections. Do you what do you think the floor? How how high do you think Amundsen could get to if folks are keying in on him? You mean in terms of price? Yeah, in terms of price. I mean, do, could you see him fall into to four to one, or do you think it's really like two to one is like maybe the best you're going to get, and it's it it, it could be lower
3: well i I hope not, obviously I wouldn't have, I wouldn't <laughs> well, have yeah. Made him the, yeah, I wouldn't have made him the favorite if I thought that. I mean, you know, I don't know how the tracks can be playing on Thursday, maybe sure. it's one of these days where you know it's completely switched and speed can't win. I mean obviously, then maybe they wouldn't bet Amundsen. um but I just feel like especially the way things have been going and speed is going to be dangerous um this just kind of feels like the horse that so many people are going to land on so he's not a horse that i typically make the favorite because his accomplishments don't quite match those of Bankman funny guy it just feels like a lot of people could land on this horse
1: well you know uh i'm i'm gonna defer to you because you know what if if, at the end of the day right you're doing the best job in the business at making morning lines and it's not just blowing smoke. I think everybody on Twitter, even horse racing Twitter gives that to you, which is that you deserve a medal for that. You, you don't have too many uh, David Aragona lines where a 15 to one morning line favorite is uh, going off at eight to five like Delmar. So last race at the spa race, 10, uh, question for you what's your take on mike maker is his barn getting really hot and it seems like he went in this this last turf race of the day the last weekend i mean he totally dominated that bernard baruch
3: uh, you could yeah. say he got a little bit lucky because i don't know what they were doing with Halliday, not pushing some like it hot brown in the lead in the early going uh but no i mean, don't get me wrong some like it hot brown's in great form and Bike maker has just been cleaning up in a lot of these turf stakes recently, especially going the route distances. So um, yeah, his barn seems to be firing, and uh, I mean, but he's always been a good trainer, and he's always been dangerous on the turf. So I don't think that's some big surprise.
1: Yeah, it just seems like he's he's always got a horse that's super interesting, and he's fitting them in this last race, provided it's, it's on the turf, um, like they usually are, and so that just makes me you know, go straight to fluent and sarcasm. And not only I'm betting the name a little. I'm I'm doing that. But it's a great name. <laughs> it's a great name. Um but I read and and Maker Together. The horse, to be honest, I mean, yeah if if you're just looking at the figures and the progression, don't you want a horse like disciplinarian? Don't you want a horse uh you know I think you can make a great case for every minute. A really great case. I know uh, your colleague Mike Beer loves every minute. Um, boom, boom, kaboom for George Weaver. I mean, you can make the case for these horses, but when you when you see a guy that's this hot, it went in at twenty five percent so far, and and really in a lot of these races with with a, one of the jockeys uh, who's at the top of that leaderboard. You, how, how much do you bump those up in your mind when you're going to bet a race like this?
3: Well, I kind of feel like I already did bump down this horse's price. I mean, yeah, tipi- that's ba- true. Based, that's a fair point. Based on this horse's form, he's supposed to be like 12 to 1 because sure. he tried this level two back. And I mean, he was the favorite that day and he just wasn't good enough. He just didn't run that well. And he got destroyed at the maiden special weight level last time. Um, and he's probably going to take money in here just because of Irad Ortiz, especially hopping back aboard. So horses like him really aren't for me because they're you'd be betting them because of connections and not really because of the form. And I typically try to prioritize the form. And based on that, I mean every minute just seems like a really interesting horse in this race. Um, it's, almost, it's almost kind of a shame for me that they dropped him in for the 40 because this is the kind of horse I would have been interested to bet at a big price at the maiden special weight level because um, he did run a, you know, a sneaky good race in his debut. Very off-
1: green, but he made a move.
3: Yeah, he was off slowly, um, lagged to the back of the pack, was lugging in, as you said, very badly in the stretch, but was still making up ground. If you watch the gallop out, he actually gallops out ahead of the other horses. And that race, it came back pretty strong on Sunday because the second and third place finishers came back to finish first and second in a race, uh, I believe it was the first race of the day. So um, he just makes a lot of sense. And I actually saw that they elevated the buyer of his last race and when I first made the line. I think they put it from a 54 up to a 61. So yeah, a that 61, just makes him, yep. yeah, that just makes him even more likely to take money in here. And I picked him. I don't think he's going to be any kind of great price. He's just the interesting horse.
1: Yeah. I, I, I kind of landed there with you. Um, I, I did kind of give a, a long, hard look to uh disciplinarian, um, David Donk, when he gets one of the Ortiz brothers to come on, uh, it seems like that that's a combo that really does work um and uh you know i just need to see him wearing his jets hat in the winner's circle i guess that's the only other reason um one last question about this race going back to fluent and sarcasm Andy's talked about it a ton you know uh hey uh i great he's a really good rider it, he is betters or overcompensating for him you just kind of pointed out like hey this is really a 10 or 12 to 1 horse morning line but you you got to compensate for this uh what is that becoming a, a a thing that's kind of blowing up your morning lines because you you set very good morning lines and sometimes they get kind of blown up because i read one too early so now his horses are just taking absurd amounts of money now.
3: Yeah, I mean that happened earlier. I think it was last week when he was coming off, you know, a slow start to the meet, and I noticed that people weren't betting his horses and uh, with quite as much enthusiasm as they had been at Belmont. So. I made the adjustment to to not lower the price as much as I had been. And, you know, I got, you know, as is bound to happen, I mean, things turned around for him and they uh, there were a couple days where I probably had the prices too high on the Arad Ortiz horses because they were betting them like they had before. Um, but I feel like now we're back in the groove with him and, uh, I, you know, I can continue making these horses relatively short prices. And so generally I, I feel like, it's not that hard to stay on top of because the public typically treats them the same way all the time.
1: Sure. Uh, over Wednesday and Thursday, is there, is there a horse in your mind? Is there a horse that you're looking forward to the most seeing how they perform or maybe putting a bet in on them or what have you?
3: Um. That's a good question. Um, Well, the second answer is easier. Um, A horse that I'm really looking forward to just seeing is that horse in the ninth race tomorrow, of Hicken. Yes. Just based on his European races, I'm really intrigued to see what kind of horse he turns out to be in this country. Um, in terms of like a price horse that sort I'm of looking forward to betting, um, we already covered a lot of them. I mean, one that we didn't talk about tomorrow, um, in the eighth race, the one right before, uh, that really interesting turf race, the ninth. Sure. Um, it's one that I'm not thrilled with the favorites, BB bankers, loan speed, whatever. I mean, I, I just don't know if he's really an allowance horse and blackjack Davy, He can certainly win. I just don't know if he really is a two turn mile on an eighth kind of horse. I, I'm really interested in the number four microscope, who's going to be a big price. To me, he just seems like the kind of horse that's always been crying out for as much distance as he can possibly get. He's run deceptively well in his last two races, and he's going to be a gigantic price in this race. So he's just a price horse tomorrow. That I don't know if I think he's necessarily – you know, a horse that I'm going to key in wind bets or on top of trifectas, but he's one that I would use in all the slots. I'd key him underneath as well behind the two favorites. I, I just think he's going to outrun his odds.
1: With a, uh, with a horse like that, uh, Louis Cardenas, what's your take so far on him? Because he, you know, these bugs can be, you know, they can be the next new hotness or they can, you know, have a lot of uh, people you know, cursing their name where are you on it? Is it um, is that a, is that an instant negative? Because you know, and I I don't want I don't want to get into jockey bashing because it it, it ain't it, it's not right, right? You know, these guys take chances inherently. Sometimes they make a bad move. They're human. You know, not everybody's Angel Cordero out there. But uh, Louis Cardenas has, has gotten some decent mounts. He's shown some ability. But, you know, when you're when you're going up against these these grizzled vets, how do you approach a situation like that?
3: I mean, generally, um, you know, I'm not going to call it anybody specifically, but I think generally, you know, a lot of people spend way too much time thinking about jockeys and trying to get in the heads of jockeys. It's just more often than not, it's just a a big distraction um, because. A lot of the riders, especially at Saratoga, they're gonna give your horse the best chance. I mean, uh, there are always gonna be situations where you feel like you can complain afterwards, whether it's warranted or not. Um, But uh, but the majority of the time, you're you're just kind of wasting your breath, like speculating beforehand. to, to answer your question, though, I think Luis Cardenas has shown a lot of promise for an apprentice. I mean, going all the way back to the Wintered Aqueduct, I remember first noticing him as a 10 pound bug before he'd even won a race and just kind of saying to myself, and I think I was even tweeting it at the time, like, this this kid has a lot of promise. Uh, not because he was making all the right moves, but just because horses run for him. It, it's It's one of those things that you can't really explain or quantify, but you could just, he's got a really Beautiful way of sitting on a horse, and the horses just perform for him. Now, whether he picks the right path to go through or the right tactics—that's a whole separate component. And you've seen a lot of his, you know, just apprentice weaknesses being exposed in a lot of the turf races, where he gave some rides where he got into traffic at Belmont, and some some races, especially at Saratoga, where he misjudged the pace. I mean, you know, I'm sure that Montauk Daddy ride is one he'd want to take back. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah,
3: but but. but Overall, he's shown a lot of promise, and he's just got that innate ability to make horses run. And that's something I don't think you can teach.
1: Well, you know, I can't I can't thank you enough, David, for, you know, we went a little bit over. Thank you for the time. Uh, where can the good people find more information, your selections on the daily? And uh, can you uh, kind of also briefly kind of explain the gist of the – drf uh time form us podcast because i i think it's it's really unfortunately it's kind of vaulting over a few podcasts that i really love as as must listen um like first or second in my podcast rotation over here can you kind of go over that oh i appreciate that i mean
3: uh to answer your first question, you can find me on Twitter at horse to watch my Naira analysis. You can get dot uh, Naira.com under the Timeform us race analysis. I give all my picks for every day there. Um, I also do uh, like a weekend package with Mike beer on DRF.com, which you can find information about. Um, and then I do the, the the podcast with Craig Malkowski who creates the speed figures for Timeform form us. Uh, we, Try to do two a week. We haven't always been able to as things have gotten busy and work schedules have been different with all of the. uh, You guys are the two
1: busiest people. Like, (laughs) I I don't even know how you guys even find time to sleep. So, I mean, the podcast, just keep it coming. But yeah, tell us more. Yeah,
3: we try to do two a week. Um, we set up set it up so we could do a recap of the weekend races where we look back at uh, how the stakes horses did and try to highlight some notable speed figures from the past week. We just recorded one of those this morning, the PaceCast, which will be out this afternoon. It's probably out now. And uh, on Thursdays or Fridays, we do the time form US forecast where we try to handicap some weekend racing. Lately, we've been trying to focus on one or two tracks, maybe focus on a pick four, pick five sequence and take you guys through that. We did that at Saratoga. Last week. This week we're gonna handicap the Whitney card in Saratoga on Saturday. So uh check it out. at uh, uh, Daily Racing Form is the channel on any podcast network, and it's the time form US Pacecast and Forecast.
1: You know, and it's one of those things before you uh, before we uh close into our interview with uh Ray Handel, the trainer. Um he was nice enough to come on. Uh you I can't thank you enough because I've seen you go out there and there's starting to be more horse racing podcasts. There's starting to be more things, but for you to come on and you've always come on and you go on these other ones and, and, uh, we can't thank you enough. And you're spreading, um, the game, you're spreading the love of the game and, uh, you know, you're doing the Lord's work out there. So God bless. And, and I think I'm turning into Anthony Stabile, uh, to you because I, I probably owe you like 34 lunches right now. So, (laughs)
3: Well, thanks for having me on. It's always nice to chat with you. And I mean, I love talking about horse racing, if that doesn't come through. So uh, it's just always nice to have an opportunity to talk with somebody else who's passionate about it.
1: Well, we are. And we're going to absolutely, for sure, have you back on again. Thank you, David. Check him out, Horse to Watch. Uh, He'll be linked up in the Twitter when we send this out. After this ad from our sponsor, Raymond Handel, trainer extraordinaire. He can bench press more than Craig Melkowski, not as much as David Aragona. Oddly enough, that's what he told me. But me and him chat about his barn, uh, and that's coming up uh, shortly. Thank you again, David. And, uh, yeah, here's our uh, little ad. All right, folks. Do you like fantasy football? Because if you do, peesh is coming at you every Wednesday with the No Fly Zone Fantasy Football Podcast. Throughout the entire season, he'll be looking at all things fantasy, giving you in-depth scouting and assessments on the entire fantasy outlook this year. So look for that wherever you get your podcasts, on Spotify, on iTunes, every Wednesday, the No Fly Zone Podcast, hosted by Peach. And now we're joined by a guy that I'm a huge fan of. He's a guy that I think you need to be keyed in on if you're playing the ponies. That is trainer Ray Handel. Ray, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, man.
4: Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you having me here, man.
1: Oh no, no worries. Uh, I've I've kind of developed into uh, a fan of yours. Just I working on um like focusing primarily in uh, naira and seeing like seeing over the course of the past year you like you you put out a horse you got to take it seriously and then i saw the naira segment they did on you which i thought was just beautiful you have a crazy story um can you can you let some of the folks know like some how you got into the game um if they haven't seen it
4: yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, Naira did a good job. i I can be a bit of a rambler, so they pieced it together and made me sound really good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um I so yeah, when I was a, a kid I, I you know, I grew up in Jamaica. Uh, I was born in the US, moved to Jamaica when I was a kid and um, as early as I can remember I, I would, you know, read the form with with my dad and you know we um we kind of built a little bond with it my dad actually was visually impaired and he had a degenerative disease so as we got older as he got older his vision got worse um and um you know he'd lean on me more towards like he taught me how to read the form and he would lean on me more towards handicapping so you know it was kind of like our weekend thing we would do we'd bet we'd handicap the horses and I'm talking when I'm like six seven years old and a he'd be asking me questions and I'm reading them back to him and, you know, I'm learning and, and I, I kind of enjoyed it just from that early age. Um, and as I got older, I just kind of, you know, fell in love with like the culture of horse racing and, you know, we moved up from Jamaica to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I was around some real top end connections at Gulfstream in the winter time, everybody would come down from New York and Kentucky and such. And, um, you know, just hanging around people. I, I, I really was just it was all I wanted to do and um you know, one day I came home, I was 15, fifteen, sixteen and I told my dad, I was like, Man, I wanna do this for, for real and uh I'm gonna go off and start learning how to, you know, get some horsemanship things down and pursue the training, um, you know, seriously. And um you know, I always had my dad's blessing and um, you know, started from just standing there watching and then I started hot walking horses and I, uh, I groomed for a short period and I, I learned how to ride at Jonathan Shepherd's farm where I kind of got all my first basics down. Um, and then just kind of built up from there. Um, they did, they fo-
1: did. No, no, they, they did show you, um, you were on the horse. You were talking about your partner, uh, they didn't mention his name but the gentleman that you were with and you're like oh me and him we you know we take care of the horses and then i would go jump off and ride and i was like damn that's a lot of work to be putting in i mean that's like
4: when do you when do you
1: you punch out the clock pretty much
4: i don't think you ever punch out the clock i mean i go to sleep at night after my uh Actually, that same guy, Eli, he's my he's my main man. When we started training, like you, like I said in that interview, uh, he he groomed my three horses, and I I rode and hot walked, and then as soon as I was finished, I'd go. I, Mike Hushin was on the backside of my barn, and I'd run over to Mike's and get on, yeah, um, as many as I could. And Mike took care of me. He'd always pay me, you know. He knew I was strug- you know. He knew I was struggling and trying to make it as a trainer. He'd always give me like ten dollars more than you know you would pay for a regular freelance writer um sure. just cuz he liked me and he wanted to see me do well but um you know i go to sleep at night now after my my assistant uh Eli goes and checks on everybody at night and we do night feed um i'll usually <laughs> wait for that text to come in that everything's okay and then i'll go to sleep and you know and then we're back at it at 4:15 in the morning so, so-
1: You're okay. So this is one of the things that struck me is you don't seem like a small dude, like in in the video, and maybe it's just on TV. But I was sitting there and watching. I'm like, man, Ray Ray don't look like a like a jockey. Like for for you, like did you grow up riding? And then, oh, okay. Well, I I know how to do it, so it doesn't really matter my size per se. I mean, you can't be a left tackle for the Jets, but like. No, yeah. how does that work
4: <laughs> well well obviously I like I said when I started I was a lot younger and you know as we get older <laughs> we get bigger <laughs> and the weight weight gets harder to keep off uh but I'm pretty active in the gym and you know I, I kind of bulked up over the past few years but yeah I mean I try and limit my gallop my galloping days and you know I, I get on everybody in the barn just to get a feel for them i can I, you know i do a lot of. mostly i do jogging to be honest and sure. um and if we weren't so pressed for help you know it's, it's been difficult this year because of covid um, a lot of my riders that come over on visas and stuff like that uh weren't able to make the trip over this year so we're pretty strapped for help so i have to ride right now whereas usually i do it to kind of get a, a feel and kind of and i and I do and I, I I split it up and I get on you know within two weeks i'll have gotten on every horse pretty much in the barn, unless there's some little dainty filly I don't want to break her back so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no, it, when i was li- when I first started, I was a lot lighter you know I weighed like one thirty five I was a really skinny guy, and um you know i was i i were, i was like a work rider when I worked for Neil howard briefly uh for like you know eight months and most of the spots I went to, you know, I was, I was, you know, pretty, I was a little bit on the bigger side, but I always had a uh, just a raw talent of galloping and I had a good touch with them. So I think people dealt with my excess weight, uh, you know, and for, for that. And, and I do the same thing too. You know, sometimes talent overrides, you know, if you have somebody that's 120 or somebody's 145, but they got, they have a serious set of hands and can really get horses to switch off. You know, you, you, you pick your, you know, pick your battles. Sometimes it's more it's worth it to have that guy than the lighter one.
1: So uh going off that like kind of training and, and uh that topic of how you're getting horses fit, you've really had some very you strung together some really strong Saratoga meets and Saratoga is not an easy place to win at. And I noticed yeah. especially coming into this year and and I think so far I think anybody can look at how you performed at Saratoga and said, "Wow, he's he's pretty successful um, so far." I mean, you're not throwing out uh, clunkers um, going into this meet. At the end of Belmont, you were you were starting to heat up, uh, kind of a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Is that is that an active mm-hmm. thing that you're okay? I gotta. I got to start maybe getting ready or I got to change up tactics. I'm planning for Saratoga. Or is it just one of those things like, Hey, it seems like things are starting to come together and it's just happenstance.
4: It's really weird. I just, I, I tell people all the time, I just get really lucky up there. You know, I, I'm not a guy that's like targeting a me We're trying to be for the most part when I send them out there, you know, I, I'm ex- you know expecting good stuff. Um, there's always circumstances when you have young horses and they need a start and so on. Um, but, I mean, we want to – it wasn't even like I was dropping horses last summer. I, I, you know, I don't have everything in front of me. But I think I won one – claim. I won six races last year at Saratoga, and they were all – I mean, six races is huge to win up there. Yeah. I think one of them were claiming races. Everything else was starter or allowance races. Um it's just, uh, it's been really fortunate. The year before that, I won two races on the same day, the opening weekend. And I'll give you an example. I was entering those, those two races carried over for almost eight days at Belmont and ended up carrying over into that weekend in Saratoga. So both of those horses were supposed to run the uh, like a week and a half before that, before those races. And so, you know, and then I ended up winning, I think, four races for the meet but I ended up with four wins because because uh, two races carried over that weren't supposed to be run there. So, you know, sometimes people say it's better to be uh, uh, lucky than good, but um, you know, I think lucky play is a residue of hard work, um, but you know, there's some kind of intangible that you can't control. And um, you know, Saratoga has been really good to us and it's great because every, all eyes are on racing during that meet and, it's helped generate more business for me and, and show people that we can compete with the best in the business at when they're firing their best and we're firing our best. So it's pretty, pretty cool.
1: Well, yeah, I, I think your stock has borne out the the idea that you, you know how to prep a horse and get it ready. Um, uh, one quick thing before I ask you about some of those horses that you've gotten ready, uh, handicapping mm-hmm. are, how much of a role does it play for you? And if it does, what, what are some of the things that you do uh, when looking at a race or trying to spot a horse?
4: Uh, looking at a race, I feel like it's kind of – I mean, yeah, I might pick up the program. You know, well, I'll look at entries when they first come out and kind of look at the race and just overall collectively see how I stack up. Generally, I just do that with figures. Um, yeah, I'll be thinking about tactics. Uh, but as far as targeting races I don't handicapping like you know like you handicap a card isn't really play much effect I usually use figures to base my next race uh, my, my project my next race for my horse um, you know we I, I'll use a couple of different figures you know I use buyers as a baseline but then when I really want to Dig into maybe horses to claim. I'll do rags and and I'll use the uh, thorough data, but you know, for the most part, you know, and it's pretty simple to enter horses here in New York. It's not the most complex condition book like you'll see at parks in Delaware, and they have all kinds of like written different written different conditions for horses that have won in a certain amount of time. Sure, you know New York is never win two, never win threes. You go sixteen, twenty five, thirty five. And it's pretty, or, you know, sometimes I'll have a 50, but it's pretty much, you have those three different levels and conditionals. And then when you're out of that, you know, you have your open claiming and it's pretty straightforward. You have one starter that they write here. You have a one X, two X. And, um, you know, like I said, I use the buyers to kind of get a baseline and, um, that dictates my next move for the most part. I mean, unless I see some drastic change, like a horse that needs to be castrated or something like that, I, I'm pretty much figures. I'm, 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 you know, analytic type of guy.
1: Um, you've got the horses you've debuted at Saratoga have been, I think, for the most part, pretty much across the board, very strong entrants. Uh, mm-hmm. Yesterday, we can talk about American Gentleman, a morning line twelve to one horse, and everybody gets on that train and. I think uh, just from my untrained eye, certainly looked like a horse with a ton of talent. It's all going to be there. Just wanted that um, go-to-school moment. And maybe yesterday was that go-to-school moment. How did American gentlemen come out of that race? And um, what were your thoughts about that?
4: Uh, you know, I thought I was disappointed. You know, I had sure. very high expectations with him. He'd been breezing like, uh, serious serious kind of horse he uh, he was a little immature in the paddock a little immature getting close to the gate overall I thought he kept it together enough to and you know he had a he broke well he was in contention in the race and um, you know he just didn't fire like I thought he would have um, you know I've had talked to a couple people that you know I to just go over things with um, in general but you know, a lot of people think that maybe he might be a dirt horse. He's kind of got dirt pedigree. And, I, and everybody says, oh, you know, it's the 54 last week before his workout. Before the race, it's the slowest work he's had. But I was going – I wanted a slow work. It's the first time I hadn't breezed him in company. And if he had gone on the dirt, he probably would have breezed in 52 on the dirt as well. But the dogs were out. So, he went 54. So, it's the slowest time of that day. I think the fastest time was, like, 49 and 3. So, it's not like, you know, the, that he went – in a pedestrian pace, it was just the slow half, um, but I guess all in all, I was just a little disappointed. I'm probably going to wheel him back and run him. Uh, if he, he bounced out of the race in great shape. I'm probably going to run him on the eighth, with a, which I I think is Traverse Day. Uh, the new condition book just came out. You know, I, I want to get him, get him back out there. I I don't think he he came back and drank a quarter of a bucket of water, and um, you know he was cooled out quicker than sometimes when he goes and had those big workouts like breezing from the gate when he was here. Um, Took him longer to cool out than he did from that race yesterday. I think he's just so naturally fast that he, you know, he he went out there and competed even though he probably didn't like that surface, but um, we'll see, you know, hopefully he takes to the dirt and he's the animal that I think he is.
1: Well, you know, I, th- I thought that, you know, it worked out a good uh, trip, and, and uh-huh. it was a learning experience. Absolutely. It was just one of those things, and, uh, you know, my child savings account is going to be riding on that next one. No <laughs> pressure. Uh, <laughs> quick question. Quick question, yeah, though. Sure. W- talking about him, w- I think part of the reason why, you know, people fancied him so much, not only just because of the pedigree and the look, was – him working out with Irish Constitution who comes out and um fires straight away, wins a very salty race. Uh, With these with these younger two year old horses, three year old horses that are making their their maiden start for you, Um, do you go into that race with the idea, the expectation that hey, this is a learning experience or do you find, do you pick and choose some where you see like, oh, there's a glimmer. There's something here. Let's go out and win this one. Let's tune them up.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, I had high expectations because those horses separated themselves early from the rest of the group. Um, generally, I don't really, you know, push on the horses. I You know, I breeze them kind of the same way and I ask the same things from them and they are the ones that do perform that way when i when i breeze you know generally i'll have a gate workout with most of them um generally i'll have about six to eight workouts all together before they run and these horses just do more because they're just god you know naturally given more talent early on than some of these other like you know they're just precocious you know it's not because i cranked on them more most of the time i you know have a little bit more of a let them get fit through racing approach. Um, But early on this Philly and this Colt separated themselves as being kind of, you know, ahead of their generation almost. Um, I do have a couple more that I really like in the meet. I have a couple that I think will be very nice that need some starts under their belts. Um, But, you know, there's a, I have a gemologist Philly that I was, you know, she was working with the Irish constitution and she's, uh, she's going to run the first day of the next book in the fifth. And I think the world of her, I really like her a lot. And um, I was actually, I was, I was there, I only paid 12,000 for the Philly and I was, I I own 50% of her myself. Um, Isn't
1: that, that sounds like a pretty damn good deal.
4: Oh man. I, why I, I, I know me and my buddy splitter, uh, Tim McCoy for blue streak racing. He's a great guy. He actually has a couple his hand and I'll handle the cash and, um, you know, a couple other horses. But uh, we're really excited. I think that, that <laughs> we we're going to run over the maiden 50 and I was like, ah, you know what, man, if somebody claims her, so what? No big deal. And she's breezing with these other fillies and I'm starting her like three, four lengths off. And she's coming by with the hammer lock on and getting, the you know, breezing bullets and, and barely being asked. And I said, Tim, we might have to skip this 50, bud. And, uh, and and wait for the next maiden special New York Bud race in the next book, because I I think if we uh, if we if she won and got claimed for fifty we might be selling ourselves short. So,
1: you know, since since you really brought the horse up, up, since you brought the horse up, it's <laughs> one of my I gotta tell you, it's one of my favorite horses. I'll handle the cash. First of all, the name I think is pretty. It's a pretty fucking sexy name there, brother. And then second of all, <laughs> second of all. This horse, I I can't tell you how much money this horse has won me. Um, Should have won that that stakes <laughs> race, except it got uh, the Kevin Nash power bomb through the table. But you know it is what it is. Um, yeah. When we see yeah, it, when we see, and I'll handle the cash back because
4: uh, I- I'm Saturday.
1: Saturday Beautiful.
4: Yeah. She's ready. Yeah, she actually has a lovely workout on XBTV. She had, a, she just skipped over the ground and did everything the right way. I don't even know what the time was. You know, I don't really. I, I go out there and I just watch them, especially on the grass. But she did it as well as I could, you know, as well as a horse could, and she should be ready to run. Uh, the race is gonna come up tough though. They got. That nice horse of Larry Revelli, uh Elizabeth—I G- can't remember it's Jean Elizabeth or Elizabeth Jean. Uh, <laughs> but she's 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 wicked fast. She just won a stake at Woodbine. I think I you know I I think she won the race that I ran in at Gulfstream. I want to say she was in there. I Can't remember if she won it or ran second, but she's uh she's really really fast. And then the filly that was fast closing second last time out is going to be back in there as well. Um, so yeah, no, no walk in the park, but, um, but you know, it's Saratoga and it's a stakes race, but, and it's worth 200,000. So, you know, it's hard to find turf sprints for, for, uh, for anybody, but for, especially for Philly oh, yeah. as well.
1: So yeah.
4: it doesn't surprise me. It's going to come up real deep.
1: You know, uh, one last question before, uh, cause I thank you again for your time. Cause I know you're just getting off the track and Lord knows you're probably going to, uh, you know, squat 350, put up uh, 300 on the bench, get it going. Um, oh, you you mentioned golf stream. Are you like in the mode where you're that New York golf stream guy, you you know, golf in the winter, New York rest of the year, and you might have some in between, or do you, uh, do you have any uh, ideas or um, inkling to go out and maybe hit up the Mid Atlantic or Kentucky, um where it's feasible or where it makes sense.
4: Yeah, I'm. I, I'll tell you, I don't have very flattering stats for Gulfstream. I'm gonna. I think I might be 0 for thirty something at Gulfstream career. And I've been When like, one walk into
1: the when that one walk into the winner's circle, say retired from Gulfstream. Deuces. We'll yeah, see you. Done.
4: I'm telling you, man, it's been brutal. So I'm, I'm actually planning on setting up shop this fall, winter, fall slash winter at Turfway Park.
2: And, cool.
4: You know they're redoing the grandstand and they're they're, they're tearing out the, the, the and putting in Tapita, um and um and I'm really looking forward to the facility is that a new challenge
1: for you uh doing the the tapita does that alter your training or is that is that something you're looking forward to that challenge of a new surface and you
4: know it's i'm really comfortable with it i've i tell you it's funny i gal i used to gallop from michael dickinson at his farm where he invented the tapita surface and it was the only place in the country that had it um I used to go, I would gallop from Michael Matt's at Fair Hill and then I'd run out there to, 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 Michael Dickinson's and I would ride some workers with them because they, you know, they're out, out in the middle of nowhere. They needed help sometimes. So I'd go out there a couple times a week and, and freelance horses. And, um, and then they put it in at Fair Hill a few years later and I was over there at Fair Hill and I rode over it. So I have a really good feel for it. And actually at Keeneland, I, I was on the, when I galloped at Keeneland for Kenny McPeak, I was in that Kentucky area for a few years. They had their poly track getting for a while there. Um, so I have a pretty good bearings on what you need to do and how fit they are. And it, it, it is kind of tricky because you have to train on them a little bit harder. You can't, you know, they don't get as much gallop. So, uh, but I have, a, I have a good feel for it. And um, I think I think the horses are going to enjoy it. And, um, you know, I just want to try something new. And I think it's good to get your foot in the door in Kentucky because, you know, you see all these guys that, you know, the real elites of the game, they all have a presence there. And I think to take, your, take it to the next level, you know, I want to kind of have a presence there as well, see if I can build some more connections and show people that we can win races everywhere.
1: Well, for a guy that's, you're, you're what? You're 30, you look 29, I think you're ahead of the game and that and that bet I tell you what man I, I'm a huge fan I'm always rooting I for you it. so and you always take my money for better or for worse I just have to include you on the ticket um, for the folks that want to learn more about you to uh, keep up with you to see that Naira video uh, where can they reach you on social media or uh, a website
4: yeah uh my 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 uh handle com. that's same, just spelt like my last name h-a-n-d-a-l-r-a-c-i-n-g at or uh dot com is where you can pretty much they have all my press and all my info and all my contact info so if anybody wants to reach out they feel free to send them messages and you know i'm pretty interactive i pretty active on all social media platforms i have them all instagram facebook and, and twitter so it's all it's everything's either handle racing or raymond handle um so yeah i appreciate it
1: yay thanks for the time man uh first of all i owe you a beer and i probably own oh our uh, buddy <laughs> uh, our mutual friend andrew a beer for setting this up so thank you again for coming on and uh yeah Hopefully down the road we can we can run it back uh after you uh drop the mic at Golfstream or uh we see on Fox we see on Fox in that grade one uh hosting a hoisting a trophy over here.
4: I hope so, bro. I hope so man. Let's see if we can keep it rolling.
1: All right, Ray Handle, everybody. Thank you very much, Ray. All
4: right, thanks, bro. Talk to you soon.
1: Appreciate it. All right, everybody, welcome
0: back to the Starter Allowance podcast. And we are going to hop into our handicapping portion here. And we've got some returning guests. We've got Marshall, we've got Spencer, and we've got Ryan. And on the last few podcasts where we've had these special guests, they've given out some pretty good long shot bangers in our sequences. So uh, thanks, guys, for coming back. And uh, we'll jump right into we're switching it up. I know we've done Saturdays for the most part, but I think everybody does Saturdays. That's what all the podcasts are about. That's what everybody wants to talk about are the Saturday races. But I mean, it's Saratoga. Pretty much every single day is awesome. And I think there were some, you know, multi-thousand dollar pick fives and, and really big bomb sequences that happened not on Saturdays. Uh, already throughout the meet so let's focus on friday and talk about a little something different here and the races are still pretty difficult what do you
5: guys think i thought it was definitely an interesting sequence i'm i only have one single and i'm three or three or more deep the rest of the way so and the single is not one that i think that a, a usual single would be it's for me it's either single or an all button so i went with a single in that in that race
0: sounds good all right so we're gonna hop into the friday late pick four and that starts with the uh 40k claiming race for three-year-olds going a mile and a 16th on the turf who wants to kick us off
6: go ahead ryan okay i'll I'll start um in this pick four sequence i'm I don't have any singles, but I do have two horses that I'm playing against. And in this race, particularly Dyna Drive, the number 10, we'll have Irad up for Mike Maker. And obviously those two together have done very well at the Spa. And this horse will be bet and he'll be bet over bet. And I don't think he has the the numbers, the time for numbers. If you look at his races, there's about four horses in this race who should be superior to him. And those horses um, start with number three, Bad Beat Brian. That's going to be my top choice here in this race. I like Bad Beat Brian, uh, Luis Ayes, Todd Fletcher Training. Um, I think this one has the, the chance to get, to get the jump uh, on everybody. I think he could get out front and uh, get there and stay there. Uh, the horses I'll be using on the ticket include number four, Blanket of Roses, uh, the other Ortiz, and the other Maker um well it's the same maker but the other Ortiz you get the idea uh Gravitas the number seven uh Jonathan Thomas with Javier Castellano I'm going to use that and then me and Mr. C I am not a Dylan Davis fan by any stretch of the imagination but if there's any chance that he can beat me in a sequence I'm going to go ahead and put him on there if I think the horse can do it and I think me and Mr. C has a legitimate chance and I think he'll be under bet so I think it's a good good horse to use. So for me, I'm gonna go three, four, seven, eight in the first leg.
5: I'm literally the same four as Ryan, so this is gonna go off to a it's awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh drive for me, you could also almost use the B or possible C. The only reason I I disagree, like I also agree with Ryan is the horse wins a 40k and then doesn't jump up. I don't know if they couldn't find something in the condition book or why the horse is staying at the same level, but Usually, when a horse wins at a certain level and comes right back at it the uh the claim box is full so if uh Mike Maker thought this horse was going to be something, I don't think he put him back in for forty. I think he'd want to try and you know get some type of money for that horse uh Chilly dilly, my man Dylan davis not <laughs> not, not a fan whatsoever <laughs> like uh like Ryan said, just one that you know the numbers fit and in a race on the turf, especially when you have four or five horses that kind of fit on the buyers. If the one horse you throw out is the one horse that the public decides to also forget about and he wins at 16 to 1, you are then kicking yourself because right. just to add one more horse, it wouldn't kill you. Javier Jonathan Thomas, I think Jonathan Thomas's numbers are insane when you look at them. 24% route trainer, 33% in the claiming area. Blanket of Roses, Jose, this is the other Mike Maker. If you can't have one, you should have it. If you can't have both, at least have one and bad beat brian kind of the same numbers todd i think that this horse coming out of the kieran barn i think todd might actually have this horse in the up and up solid force by four in the optional 50k after winning the condition 30k and i think this is the perfect spot for him
0: yeah the, the horse that intrigued me the most and i think that warrants the most discussion is that me and mr seahorse um if you you look at the money that it's made and the, the level that it seems to be running at, it may not add up because he's got the uh, optional 75K, optional 75K, second, third, first on the resume, and the numbers in terms of money that he's made aren't that high, and it's because those races came at Tampa. So it's... I, I still really struggle from a handicapping standpoint on what to do with these horses that are coming up out of these turf races at Tampa. I know people say that they're tougher than they look when you think about the, the amount of ru- money that they're running for, because it's one of the places that has grass in the winter, but, um, uh, they, they did run longer than usual this is a a Florida bred horse that was running at Tampa. I mean, Kozan, Kozan is an awesome sire down there in Florida. Uh, but, and, and has been, I think. Yeah, so I just don't know what to think of those races and, and how good they may have been in April at Tampa.
6: Right. Uh, I think the class drop for me and Mr. C is the reason to put him on the ticket. He raced in a grade three last out. He's coming in second off the layoff. I think that's it's, it's one that you, you have to use. I wouldn't say it's defensively. I'd say he's in the mix.
7: For me, he is my top pick. Um, I, I You know, the, the connections are, are, are not well known, especially at, at Saratoga. Dylan Davis, if you'd have told me he was 35% in the money at Saratoga this year, I would have told you, get out of here. He's actually been doing okay, and he's actually won a lot more races, you know, the two races that he's won. Or is a lot more than what I would have ever thought that he would have won at Saratoga meet. So I think he's been doing okay. Um, he's, there's been a next out winner in a stake at Monmouth out of that last race. And then two sec- or, and then a second place finish um, in a different Monmouth stake um, as well. So I, I, I tend to like that, like the race that he's coming out of. Gufo, I think good um and so I I I really do like me and Mr. C and is my top pick I also I have to go with the number four and the number three as well as the other guys um in that order Blanket of Roses and Babby Bryan I I as well want nothing to do with Dyna Drive, and I think is um an easy play against Mm. yeah
0: I, I think I'm on the contrary in here. I don't. I don't like a, Mr. C all that much. <laughs> I did like Dyna Drive a little bit in here, so um, maybe I, I just don't know where where the public is going to go. I think that this that Dyna Drive will like getting back to the turf. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But I think I'm a bit contrary, and I like I do like Dyna Drive the most in here. I know he's going to get bet because of the IRAD and Maker Factor, but um, I I do see him as a, at least a big, big contender in here, and I would have a hard time just going against him.
7: The one thing to keep in mind is that last race, that optional claimer that was on the turf, mm. um, there were multiple horses that have came back at similar or lower levels. Um and have done okay. Yeah, um, I know
0: arithmetic came back and and uh, I I remember watching the the uh, talking horses and Andy's like if this horse wins, you know there then I just lose everything. And he came back and he ran okay. I think he came in second. He got
7: second. Yeah, yeah, he came yep. back
0: around second in that that forty k claiming race. So I mean, it, it is hard to say. And rhythm section is a horse that when he. Uh, was running down in Gulfstream. I didn't like him all that much when he came out and won, I think, in one of the main claimers out there. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. There's plenty to think about. But um, I could be wrong. We'll see. But let's go ahead and move on. Do
6: I have to go first again? <laughs> <laughs>
7: Do I
0: don't think so who wants to take the next one
7: i think well in race eight for me i really didn't want to to like jewel of arabia um you know the horse is going to get bet down considering the connections have been white hot at saratoga this year with clement rosario but there's only one horse that i could even contemplate using besides jewel of arabia which would be um, the um, um, uh, Jorge Abreu, Manny Franco, Flash, Pack, and Barbie, but I can't do it. So for me, number nine, single, move on.
6: Well, I'm glad you went first because uh, we agree, but we agree to disagree. For me, it's Flash, Pack, and Barbie, the number eight that oh. I would use. Uh, I, 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 would, I, would, I was thinking of using as a single, but... The jewel of arabia the number nine horse with those connections and the horse's past performances i mean it fits i'm gonna have to use both of them i'm going eight and nine in here flash pack and barbie i know that i've seen it at some point in my life because i've been doing this for a long time but it's been a while since i've seen a horse that won on debut finished 11th in the next race and then won in the third race I and mean, that's kind of weird one 11, 1 for final position. But uh, for me, it's just eight and nine in this race. I don't really need anybody else, and uh, that's it for this leg.
5: I'm against the nine. Uh, sloppy track wins. Always seem to get over back, coming back, not even counting the connections in this race. Yes, the horse has good back numbers, but my lone single of the sequence is Flashback and Barbie. Obviously has to get back to the debut race, but the fact that they won on debut didn't First time against winners in the allowance, you can kind of cross that race out. They put him back in a nice, easier spot, wins nicely. If they can now somehow get the improvement at four, this one might be one that can be interesting, hopefully at a decent price.
7: Now, I – Disagree with your surmise about the sloppy track, because I think that his efforts two back and four back are far more impressive than the sloppy effort. The fact that one by seven doesn't matter to me, but especially considering that Christophe Clement started this horse in a stakes race makes me believe that he really does like this horse a lot um, and, and feels like it could be sort of a, a, a just a stepping stone for future things.
5: It absolutely could be. For me, it's just the fact that I, I do tend to see where you, with the two and four back how those races are better. But this horse will also be six to five probably. Oh, I think I'm best. And the fact that he also has to run back to those numbers, usually third off the layoff is the, where we see the most improvement. Like I said, I'm just taking a shot. Anyone who knows me knows how much I love Joel and Kristoff, especially because I've always been trying to beat Chad Brown with Kristoff. But this is just one where if you don't want all of them, you have to pick one. And I just like the eight over the nine. If I don't go too deep here and it screws me, which it might, so be it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to, you have to assume, I guess that, one of these two flashback and barbie jewel of arabia are gonna run back to one of their better races because if they don't then it's pretty
5: wide open isn't it it's an it's an all burger all these horses are proven losers at this level so it's whoever wants to win the most out of a pack of losers
7: 110 percent
5: all right
0: makes it tough but hopefully you can take a stand all right let's move on to the ninth race which is a five and a half furlong sprint on the turf. It is a 100K stakes race for three-year-old Phillies. This is another tough one. Um, who wants to take the lead on it?
6: I say Spencer should. I'll <laughs> Spencer go can do it
5: first.
7: I'll, Fl- I'll take flash. the last
5: one if you go now, Spencer.
7: Flash pack and Barbie says so. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Uh, for me, I just would like both horses out of the Lady Shipman. So that's uh, the outside horse. She's my type for Christoph Clement, or Joel Rosario, and uh, Bredenberry, who actually ended up winning the race with Saez and Motion. I just think when you're thinking of turf trainers at New York, Graham and Clement are the ones other than Chad for me that I think of. A horse that I think that could be interesting at a price, and I'll use the B, would be Artie's Princess for Wesley Ward. Uh, we miss Artie's out of Artie Schiller. Artie Schiller loves the grass. This will be the horse's first time on grass. Could be uh, an excellent price with top connections.
0: Yeah, I liked Artie's princess a lot in here. Um, uh, hopefully, she's not bet down too much. I I think that she's my type will take a lot of money. But when I went back and watched the race that ha- that uh, she's my type is coming out of, it just seemed like Reddenberry was – really a lot better than the horses that that finished behind I did play that race a little bit I don't think I had her in there but man she just seemed not threatened at all in that race and you can say that she had a good trip and and everything else but the 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 horse that was actually favored in that race was um Miss J McKay and she didn't really make up any ground on, on the winner towards the end. She beat some of the other horses that were getting tired, but uh, for me, uh, my top choice is going to be Artie's Princess, just because she destroyed those horses at Woodbine, and uh, it may have just been an okay field, but I mean, she looked really good doing it. Uh, I, I I think that the shorter distance is probably what suits her better, and uh, I like her a lot in here. But if she doesn't win, a big threat I think, I think is going to be a worthy favorite is going to be the the Bredenbury horse, the winner of that last one, because that was pretty impressive as well. So for me, it's just
6: between those two in here. Okay, so I am going to use, I'm going to go deep in this race. But no, I'm going to go deep, but I'm also playing against crack, crack, Leslie Ward's uh, turfer. She's getting back to the turf, which is going to be good. She's coming off the layoff, which is going to be good. She's going to take a lot of money. She's not going to find her way on my ticket, and I'm okay with that. I am going to use the number four, Miss J. McKay. Uh, Kind of a tepid choice, but uh, there would be a horse that... If she won and I lost my ticket, I'd be pretty upset. So I'm going to have to use her. Bradenberry, I think is a must use in this situation, probably will be the favorite or at least the second favorite in the betting. And then you have to use the outside horses. I do like Artie's Princess, like you guys uh, have said, and she's my type. I'm going to use the horse and 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 it's just because of the uh the connections here i mean Clamont and rosario have been just killing it and uh, there's no way i can leave that horse off my type off my ticket so i'm going to use a couple here five four or five here and uh hope hope i can be alive into the payoff leg so that's it for me
7: so my my opinion is is closer to andrews more than anything else um wesley ward Going poly to turf in uh, stakes races is four for 14, so that's 30%, and is a $4 ROI, which is huge for Wesley Ward because you never get that, and especially considering you're going to get Rad Ortiz aboard. I am all aboard the Artie's Princess train. Um, I, I I think that she, uh, the, the horse will easily be my top pick. I have to use the other Wesley crack. Um, I do think that his turf wins are a little dressed up, but if he is able to go back to, um, some of his earlier races where he was extremely highly touted by Wesley Ward, um, especially if he can, if, if, you know, he brings them out to Royal Ascot for the Royal meeting, um, you know, that he thinks highly of the horse and, um, is going to be coming into this race I think uh in in decent form you know Wesley's been doing pretty good so far at at the Saratoga meet um and I also agree that uh the um uh that Bradenberry is by far the horse I, I want out of that last thought she's my type made a good closing run but was never going to reach Bradenberry um and and you're you know you're going to project to get a similar trip behind some of the speeds because I mean there there is quite a bit of horses that want to be on the lead um, so I, I'd rather have someone that's going to be able to just sit right off and and that's where Bradenberry lies so um, for me uh, I I definitely would go um, two eight six and I think a weird one that that is coming into form is going to be Shippy the five for George Weaver. Uh, second off the layoff and and looks kind of primed for this spot has some back form that, that would compete here and definitely is going to, to be a price. So, um, I, I wouldn't want to leave off shippy.
0: Sounds good. I like it. All right. And then we have a nice little starter allowance, the namesake of the podcast here coming up in the last race. And I thought this one was pretty tough as well i mean it looks relatively even across a lot of these runners so you're gonna have to find something that uh that you like in here and going back and taking a look at at some of these replays what we have in this race is a good chunk of horses that one last time out on the front and really a lot of these horses won last time out in this race. So you can't just, just look back and say, okay, well, they won last time out. Do they have a good chance now? But a lot of them, you just see one, 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 all the way across the board and uh, all coming out of similar types of wins. Some have a little bit better uh, figures coming out of them, but man, this is tough. And then you've got about two mid pack horses that like to come off. And even those have uh a very recent win and then you have a couple of deep closers. And I know we don't have the, uh, the time form pulled up right now, but I can only imagine it's just like a big group of horses trying to get to the lead in the front, and then uh, two in the middle and then a bunch in the back. But the thing about this race is just because <laughs> there's a bunch of horses that are coming off of front running wins I don't know that that necessarily means that there's going to be that fast of a pace in here. So um, (laughs) it's hard to know what to do with a race like this. Now, um, I don't have an ultra strong opinion. Um, You do have some some class droppers like Lido Key that are looking like they have a big advantage coming out of just the – the normal allowance races from down in Kentucky, but um, I don't know if I liked the way that this one ran in those replays. It just didn't seem like she had any kind of turn of foot. I know if you look at the running line for Lido key in the last race, you see seven, five, four, but she wasn't making up any ground on the horses that were in front of her she was just passing the horses that got tired. And that's a little bit worrisome to me, because it it seems like if you're gonna get up and pass horses that were going relatively moderate early, which I think it still will be, even if it doesn't seem like it will, then she's probably still gonna have a hard time making up ground on them if she doesn't have that extra kick. So I'm gonna lean a little bit more toward some of the front runners in here. Um, just as an example, I think, Come Storming, who will probably be one of the favorites, has a big shot in here. Um, another one of those Get Stormies by, trained by Tom Bush. So I'm going to lean on her a little bit. And then um, there was one more mid-pack style horse that I thought might get first run. I could have sworn I put a note on her, but it doesn't look like I did
6: um it's your professionalism that i respect the most
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh maybe hurricane breeze in here more more sitting uh mid-pack is one that might get first run on some of those front runners and maybe uh be the one to make up some ground but we'll have to see
6: yeah so andrew i agree with you Uh, the two horses that you mentioned that i'm going to use and i'm only going to go too deep here because i think I think I've narrowed it down to to the two that I think are the most likely winners. I do like that Come Storming. Also, the only problem that I don't like this one the the absolute best is she's coming out of a maiden claiming race mm-hmm. at Belmont. Um, and the other one that I like is Lido Key, who you talked about. I think this one is in the right company here to get the job done. She's going to sit off the pace, like you said. She did passed the tiring horses last time out. She didn't catch up with the leaders. But if you look at that race at Keeneland, uh, I think the top two uh, horses that won, that came in first and second in that race, I think those are solid horses. And uh, I think the class relief here should put Lido Key in a good good position to be able to close into what I think will be a contentious pace. I don't think it's going to be a very, very fast pace, but I think there's going to, like, like you said, Andrew, there's going to be a lot of horses out there trying to get the lead. So I think Lito Key can sit back and then hopefully she develops that turn of foot that she's going to need to be able to pass everybody. But I like Lito Key and I like the number seven come storming. And that's it for me.
5: For me, when you look at the, uh, when you read handicapping books, the handicapper's conditioning book by James Quinn, he explains how he plays these races. And one of the ways is just find the level at which the horse last won, And if it fits close enough to the level of the starter allowance so we're talking about 50k starter allowance so the two horses that won at 40 come storming and ocean fire i think have a good shot in here top pick for me will be princess fazia with linda rice linda i think is done being ice cold uh at belmont so she's been heating up at saratoga the 71 last time out at the level gets irad i think this horse is ready to fire a big one
6: I would add that to my ticket. Yeah, If if, if there there was room, I would probably add that.
7: So for me, um, I I agree with (laughs) with a lot of you guys, but uh, I'm going to go elsewhere. If the number 11 Corey scores, who is for some reason an AE in this race, um, if Corey scores gets in, that will be easily my top pick and that and not even, I don't even have to blink about that, um, was wide coming around the turn in that last race, and was closing into what, you know, glacial um, uh, pace, so I, I really do like Corey scores in this race, you get Joel Rosario on the turf, on a horse that li- likes to make one run, there is not a better person who can time a, a run, than Joel Rosario. Um, the, other, the other sneaky horse that I really have, the more I look, the more I really do like is the Mark Hennig horse strike magic. Um, now granted the the last race um, is really nothing to um write home about, but the way that the horse was was ridden by Manny Franco looks like an absolute prep. It was ugly they went just coming down the stretch manny didn't even touch the horse just nice and easy rode in and then manny really pressed the button for strike magic once they got to the wire because they really wanted to get a good gallop out on and so if that if that 65 buyer in the last is is a prep then i project any sort of improvement off of that um second off the layoff i think that this horse can can really provide some value underneath um, and does have, I think, a good potential to win. Um, other than that, I, I definitely agree. You got to use um, uh, the number seven come storming for Tom Bush. And for me also, you um, Lido Key for Kim McPeak. I think that the jockey change for Lido Key is big. Tyler Gafleone has been riding really well, and you're getting away from Joe Talamo. And, and getting a more, a little more aggressive rider with Tyler Gaflione, I think that horse is, is very dangerous, um, in, in this race as well. So for me, I, I'd go, um, 11, four, seven, three, if the 11 doesn't come in, um, then I'm four, seven, three.
0: Yeah, got to keep an eye on the, the also eligible because if he gets any, you got to use him. There's just no way around that one. But I'm going to try and play against Lido Key in here a little because I think he's going to be on just about every ticket. So uh, if if he can get beat in here, then I think that's going to provide some value. Just wasn't all that impressed by this one. But we'll see if uh, Gathlione makes a difference. Well, that's going to end that pick four. Thank you guys so much for coming on uh, thanks to our guests and hopefully just like the last couple of times we've sat, found some value. Be sure to check them out. Check out Spencer's Redboard Rewind. Check out their the Marshall sterling Twitter. Everybody, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
7: Thank you, appreciate it. Ryan you get no love. Me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you i tell you, I'll tell you what. Um Dickie and I in that turf race. Yeah. Man, we we nearly had the super fact on that SLB with 3